0: So meal prep is important. Um, I'm the kind of person who likes to spend their Sundays in the kitchen, planning out my lunches and my dinners, and trying to be as organized as possible so that I can go into the week somewhat more relaxed. Um, But you know what's more important than meal prep? Yantip prep. Yantiv prep is important on a physical level and also on a spiritual level. On a physical level, going into Purim, we have a lot on our heads, right? We have costumes and themes and Mishlach Manos and we have to go to this Rebbe and we have to go to this teacher. But, you know, when you find out like one Rebbe like lives in Lakewood and you don't have to go out there, you're like, oh, okay, phew, right? Cross that one off my list but there's so much that goes in and sometimes you can feel a little bit all over the place. And I've heard from a few people that they kind of can not wait for that day to just be over, you know, between like sitting in the car and all the kids crying and Mishlach manos, like back and forth in the car and coming back to the suda, whether it's in your house or at family. And then like somebody's drunk, maybe more than one person. And it kind of feels like I just want to get back to a regular schedule and a routine. But the Svarim Kadoshim teach us that parim is probably and possibly one of the highest Yamim and tovim. And if we want to actually feel it, we need to go in prepared. So what we're going to try to do in this next four-part series is really prepare ourselves, in not only physically, but also spiritually in our ruchnias, and learn a little bit about the day. So what we're going to start with tonight is Davening Tila. So parim is likened actually well is actually compared to a very very other holy day which is yom kippur right yom kippur is yom haki it's a day like Purim, and now we're coming to Purim, and we're saying purim is even holier than yom kippur yom kippur is a day that we're sitting in shul davening from morning to night fasting how could we compare that day to a bunch of drunk people walking around giving out candy um, in the Megillah, we learn that Esther Hamaka before she went into the palace, she asked the Jewish people to daven for her for three days and to fast. So there's a lot going on about the day that is related to tefillah. So let's try to understand how that relates to us. So in order for us to understand this, let's a little bit understand, let's try to understand who the characters were in the Purim story. So, you know, the kids, they're starting to come home and, like, learning about Mordechai, learning about King Ahasuerus, and Haman with his scary hat, right? But these characters are actually real people. Um, and the Gemara asks very famously, Haman min ha minayin Where does Haman come from? What are his roots? And we learn that Haman, where he was originally first quoted, was all the way back in Gan Eden, where it said, "Hamin ha from the tree what tree are we referring to we're referring to the tree that eats hadas right Tovarah, the tree that the snake actually had adam and chava eat from that is the root of haman now haman is the physical embodiment of the nachash he was the snake he was the one who tempted us all the way back then in gan Eden. And he, it says, is a Gilgal of com- who comes back in the Parm story as Haman, who tries once again to seduce the Jewish people, to try to have us killed, to get, you know, Esther in trouble and all that stuff. Um, we continue to learn about Esther and Mordechai and the Arizal explains that Esther was a reincarnation of Basia, who was also a reincarnation of Gilgal of Chava. And Mordechai is a Gilgal of Yaakov, and we learn also that Yaakov was also a Gilgal of Adam HaRisham. So we have the three main characters. We have Haman, we have Esther, and we have Mordechai. In their original version, all the way back in Gan Eden, we have the snake, and we have Chava, and we have Adam. And just like the snake brought darkness to the world, and he brought this dread and fear, so too Haman is coming back in the perm story 2.0 and trying to do it. So here comes Mordechai and Esther trying to fix the mistake. Now, how did they fix it? And what did they do? So let's try to understand what the original sin was. We think the original sin was they ate from a tree, they ate an apple, and then they brought death to this world. But the Zohar explains, um, and actually we learned this out through the Leshem, that the original sin was that the mistake that Adam made was that when he chose to eat from the tree, Now, it was not an apple. It actually, we learned that it was either grapes or wine, which, by the way, we drink on perm. Um, We're trying to be metak in that, and we are. This is what we're doing. We're trying to be metak in that sin. So what happened was that Adam was sitting there, and everything was amazing for him. He was in Gan Eden, and everything was perfect. And he was in paradise. And when he saw that tree that ate, he decided to eat from it, and some, some can say that he actually chose to eat from it, L'Shem Shema'im. He wanted to understand where darkness come from, and he wanted to understand if there's a place in the world that Hashem created that has doubt, that has evil, and he wanted to understand a little bit more. He was sitting in paradise. Everything there was perfect. Everything was going well. Trees were growing. He was able to eat from it. He didn't have to work hard. He didn't have to work from the sweat of his brow. Chava didn't have to have pain in childbirth. But he wanted to understand that other side of it. And he chose to eat from the tree. And the mistake was that he did it, and Hashem did not command him to do it. There were others in history where Hashem commanded them to do it. Hashem told Abraham Lech Go from your place, go from your birthplace, and go to land I'm gonna show you. Hashem sent Yosef down to Mitzrayim on purpose. Hashem had sent those people into darkness so that they can dig up and do the work and create something good out of it, but he did not ask Adam to do it. So the mistake was that when Adam went down that deep dark hole, even though he was trying to do good and he was trying to find Hashem in evil and in bad, he ended up making this mistake. And because of that mistake, We all now are born into a world of darkness. Now, it's a little scary because if Adam wasn't able to correct himself and fix himself, how are we supposed to be able to do this? So what we're gonna do is turn to Rabbi Nachman and understand a little bit about what he talks about is the power and the tool that we are going to use, that Mashiach is going to use to combat the Yitzharah. And that is tefillah. Rabbi Nachman explains that when a person davens, Who's the kind of person that davens? A person who is struggling, who doubts, who's missing something, who's in a moment of pain. A person who has everything going for them, a person who is confident, a person who is like, I got this, everything is going well, everything is amazing, is not a person who's gonna cry out and seek Hashem. Rabbi Nachman explains that the root of the davening is the emunah pshuta, that every single one of us need to work on and build on, and that is what's going to fight the Yetzirah and ultimately bring Mashiach. The davening of a person who's lacking, who's missing, who's confused, is a person who can really be a mover and a shaker. As opposed to, you know, we think that if we want to get out of Gaulus, we need to know everything, right? If I know what to do, X, Y, and Z in this situation, then I'm going to be able to bring Mashiach, right? If, as long as I'm not in a place of doubt as long as I'm not concerned about anything, everything's going to be well, that's how I'm going to bring Mashiach. Rabbi Nachman says no. Rabbi Nachman says that you need to work on, as a Jew, your emunah You need to work on believing and trusting Hashem even when you don't see it and even when you don't understand it. And that's where true tefillah comes in. That's when it's able to do something incredible. You know, sometimes you don't even need to see Hashem, you just need to sense Him, like you need to smell Him. Mnei Haskar says that the sense of smell actually is very much connected to the story of Purim. Another name for Esther is Hadassah, right? The root of Hadassah is Hadassim. The besomim that we smell has a beautiful fragrance. Mordechai, his name is a combination of Marderar, which is one of the spices and the incenses used in the Torahs. And the only sense that was not affected all the way back in Gan Eden was the sense of smell. They touched the tree, they tasted the tree, the Nahash pushed her into the tree, right? They saw the tree, it was good in their eyes, right? They wanted to eat it. The only sense that was not affected was smell. So here come the three characters that were there in all the way back in Gan Eden, right? And we now have them coming to attack a nation that's a Amalek. The Gamache of Amalek is Sufik. right? They are at the root, Amalek is our archenemy. We'll discuss this in another class and understand a little bit about who Amalek was. But right now, what we're focusing on is the davening. When you recognize that it's okay, I don't need to know everything. I believe in Hashem. I trust in Hashem. I can feel I could just scent him, right? The sense of smell, you don't need to be right near me. You can be in another room, you could be outside my house and you could smell the challah that's cooking, right? You don't have to be right there, but I can smell Hashem. I can feel it. It's, It's. I don't, not, I mean, sorry, not feel it. I can smell it. That's when we recognize that Hashem is close by and we're connected to Him through our Muna pshuta. Um, on Parim, what do we do? We drink. We drink until the point of Adalo Yata, until we don't even know anymore. You think that the answer to Galas is eating from the tree, the Eta Das Tovarat, right? I need to eat from the tree in order to have Das to understand the ways of Hashem. I'm going to understand everything and then I'm going to bring the ultimate Gula. Hashem says, no, adeloyada. You don't need to know. You just need to be able to believe in me, have that amuna, like Rabbi Nachman explains, and then you'll be good. I'm going to end with a little story, um, which is a mashal from the Bashantov, where he had told all this king, had told all this kingdom that he has a special treasure that's hidden somewhere within his palace. And anybody who's able to get through all the obstacles and get to that treasure house, is able to have the treasure, and that is something that you could live off for the rest of your life, and your children and your grandchildren can all live off of that. And the whole kingdom heard about this, and they were so excited. They are like, let's go. They all started lining up, and of course, the big strong men, they come first, and the warriors, and the noblemen, and they're all like, oh, we got this. We've been, you know, we, we know how to get through all the obstacles, and they all start lining up. And they're very excited to get this, this treasure from the king's palace. And the first guy goes up and he's this big, strong guy. And he's like, oh, don't worry, guys. He's like, sorry, you don't even need to wait. You could all go home because like that treasure is mine. And he starts to make his way. And as he's getting along the way, all of a sudden there's this, he starts, he starts walking towards the palace and there's this huge river and he starts walking through it. And he's like, oh, it's okay. I can swim. I got this. And he starts swimming. And all of a sudden a sea creature comes, pulls him under the ground and that's it. He's gone. So the next guy gets up and he's like, okay, he's like, I got this. This guy drowned, so I'm going to build a bridge. Okay, so he starts and he takes some wood and he starts building a moat and he cl- climbs over and he turns around at all the crowd and they're all cheering and he's like, I got this. And as he gets to the other side of the river, all of a sudden he starts to walk through a forest and these wild beasts and animals come jumping down from the trees and they attack him, rip him to shreds, he's gone. Now the third guy comes and he's like, okay, I'm going to use this guy's bridge. He climbs over the bridge and he comes out with swords and everything to protect himself from the animals and he gets through all the animals. And as he gets to the end of the forest and he's so proud of himself that he's made it this far, all of a sudden there's this crazy obstacle of like vultures that come down and start ripping him apart and attack him. And as each person comes and goes, they each get hit by another obstacle. And they're all so frustrated because here's the king who made this big announcement and said, everybody's welcome to come to my house, to my treasure house, to get this treasure. And they're all one by one failing until this old yid comes and he starts to make his way. And everybody in the town is just laughing at him. They're like, how's he going to make this through? This doesn't make sense. So he starts to make his way and he gets to the bridge. And as right right in the entrance of the bridge. He closes his eyes and he says, The king, who by the way, whenever we mention a king in the story, is always a reference to the king of all kings. If the king truly, really, really wants me to be able to get this gift from his treasure house, this treasure, it can't be that this river is going to block me because the king really, really wants me to, to get that. And he closes his eyes and he says, HaMelech, the king, he wants me to get it, opens his eyes, the water is gone. It's just a hologram. And then he gets to the forest and all of a sudden he hears all the wild beasts and animals ready to come and rip him to shreds. And he closes his eyes and he says it's Phila also, if the king really wanted me to get that treasure and he offered it to the whole palace, it can't be that this forest of wild animals is going to stop me. And as he got to each obstacle, Until he made his way to the king's palace, at every single obstacle, he began it with a prayer, with a tefillah to Hamelach, to the king, and he says, I know the king really wants me to have this, so it can't be that this is going to block me. And he made his way to the treasure house, and he had that treasure for all of his lifetime. Now what we learn from this story, obviously this is a mashal, is for us, that when we face obstacles, we don't have to try to start to think and chashbin and say, what does this mean, what Hashem want from me? We have to really, really believe in Hashem, that whatever Hashem put in front of us, that's there, custom made, whatever it is, difficulty or good thing or bad thing, whatever it is, is there for me. And I have enough muna in my backpack, I've prepared enough, to be able to fight this. And I don't have to think that I need to eat from the tree to descend and to go down into that. And that's kind of what Mordechai and Esther were teaching us, they were instilling us that even the scariest the scariest moments of the Purim story, they always withheld their Armuna, they, they stood strong, they used the koach of Tfilah, and that's something that we should all try to channel on the day of Purim. So take a few moments to yourself, whether it's Purim night or Purim morning or Purim afternoon, and just focus in and hone in on working on that tefillah and then amuna and hopefully that will change your day.